0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. Wonderful to have you with us. This next segment is going to be an interesting one. The very first company that we Interviewed on the Mr. Beacon podcast years and years ago was this British company called Pointer. Uh, and uh, over 140 episodes later, I thought it'd be really interesting to have them back on the show uh, and to do a checkpoint on where they are. And they're doing really well. So uh, stand by and uh, uh, have a listen to Paul DuPont, who's one of the executives at, uh, at Pointer. And hear a bit about the use cases that are really moving the needle in terms of indoor location, indoor navigation, and RTLS. Um, we'll hear a bit about his history, which is a fascinating one. Um, how he got his, his role, a pointer. Um, uh, and, and I think it's a, it's a good uh, educational uh, moment to get a sense of how this company has survived, why it survived and where they're seeing success, where is the gold buried in this internet of things landscape that we're traversing. Before we go on to that I'm going to take a brief commercial break. Uh, Normally our sponsorship uh, notices are pretty light, we have the occasional ad that goes on and the money goes from those ads. Uh, Currently at least is going to the monarch uh, school for uh, kids, uh, for, for, for homeless kids here in San Diego. Um, and the sponsorship that we get from Williot just allows me to keep this show going on and uh, uh, and uh, 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 provide some of the resources required to get it out there. So uh, a quick commercial break for for us here at Willyot. Williot has just launched its first ever starter kit. So up until now, uh, Willyot, this uh, company that I uh, work for, my day job, where we make uh, computers the size of a postage stamp that power themselves by harvesting radio frequency energy and and now the the cloud system that uh, is connecting those tags and providing the sensing data, doing amazing things. That has always been, the our customers have always been some of the largest companies in the world. And typically it costs a lot of money to get into our early adopter program. You're talking $50,000, $100,000 to get access to this product that we think is going to change the world. Well, now that uh, price has come down to $500. So uh, we, we've got to the point with our version 2 product where the product is uh, maturing. It's still, it's still not 4.0, 5.0. But we're seeing amazing results, Uh, tens of thousands of tags being deployed on uh, items of apparel and plastic crates, cardboard boxes, and things that previously weren't connected to the internet are now being connected and the sensing and automation that's all integrated. So fine words, but people often want to know, does it work? And the answer is, it depends on what you want to do. How do you find out more? Well, you can actually buy a starter kit for $500. Go to williot.com, uh, And if you want to go directly, you go to williotcom slash starter hyphen kit, starter kit. Uh, and you can be one of the first to get your hands on this technology that we think is going to help solve climate change, uh, make food better, uh, medicine safer, uh, and uh, open up some incredible new business models for um, companies that sell ordinary things rather than expensive things that uh, can now be connected to the internet. So that's the end of our little commercial break. Now on to our friends at Pointer. The Mr. Beacon podcast is sponsored by William Intelligence for everyday things powered by IoT Pixels. So this week's guest, is Paul Dupont of pointer. Uh, Paul, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, nice to, nice to be here, Steve.
1: Well, it, it's actually a very special poignant, um, episode having you uh, on. It's kind of unusual in a number of ways, but one of them is that, um, our very first episode back in 2016 was interviewing, um, Chris Charles, who at the time was uh, at, at, at Pointer, and uh, I was over in London visiting here from the States, and uh, um, it was uh, it was a great discussion, I thought, and uh, that was episode one. And I think uh, this will be like the 139th episode. <laughs> uh, so you know, I was going to say bookends, but we actually do intend to continue the podcast. But certainly, I think very interesting. Pointer is a super interesting company. Uh, well, A, you're still around. So how many uh, IoT, uh, Beco system companies from 2016 are still around? Um, there's a lot that have fallen by the wayside. So you're, you're doing some things right. Uh, and you focused on uh, indoor positioning, navigation, location, and I think some asset tracking as well. We'll get into all, all of that um so these uh, use cases have evolved a bit since uh, um 2016 um so i'm looking forward to uh to to uh to our discussion um uh so maybe we should start off with just uh, introducing for people that didn't listen to episode 1 of the mr beacon podcast uh who who is uh, or who are pointer and uh, what do you do
2: um yeah, so I, I think the company has probably probably evolved since uh, since since the first interview in 2016. Um, although I think the core product, uh, though better, is largely the same. Um, so, firstly, I'm Paul. Uh, yeah, I'm a I, I, I head up sales for, for Pointer, um, and the company, the main product that we have is software for indoor positioning and then the services that that kind of wrap around that. Um, So with that, it's uh, essentially a blue dot that shows accurate user location on a mobile device. Uh, That's the core of our product that uses beacons in order to enable that. Um, But then, you know, as you said, we also have a a range of of, of other products around that, be it um, mapping or be it some asset tracking functionality as well, that, that I'll tie that into kind of a broad solution.
1: So I was scanning your website, looking to see what's changed. And I saw you'd coined the term D-L-A-A-S, deep location as a service. That's right. Um, so um, well done for uh, uh, confusing people even more about this as a service stuff. Um, but I do like the deep location uh tag um it it implies something that we should all have what is the difference between deep location and regular indoor location
2: um so you can thank our marketing team for that uh they uh (laughs) um no so it's it's our twist on on indoor location or indoor positioning which um revolves around being scalable uh, and being software focused right so it's uh uh it, it, the the core concept that we have is that our product is designed to be able to be deployed anywhere and very quickly uh, in an indoor environment um, versus uh, you know some some other indoor location solutions which might not have that that, that depth of ability
1: uh huh and why can your solution be deployed faster than any other solution? Oh,
2: so um, we have a variety of, of, of nice little things that we, we, we do that, 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 that enable us to do that. So mm-hmm. the first of which is the way the technology works. Um, so the algorithm or the, the SDK that goes into the, into the, into the mobile device you know, via our client's app um mm-hmm. does the the positioning on the device itself uh using the, the beacons around it which means it it doesn't need uh, to do any fingerprinting um it doesn't need to do uh it doesn't need to access the the internet at all um and it means that uh when we do a deployment we can just use either for example existing infrastructure that's already there uh, or we can just go in and place beacons uh, as necessary um And something that we've got very good at doing during the pandemic um, is we train our clients to uh, to put the
1: beacons up themselves. So we don't even need to go on site to to do deployments, Uh, which I think. So you you said you don't do fingerprinting. So, you know, what is fingerprinting and how do you avoid doing it?
2: So fingerprinting uh, is the process of when you're doing an indoor location deployment um walking around first walking around with uh, a mobile device and collecting um uh, radio signal strength as you as you wander the the, the mm-hmm. so the device collects it it says that in um y- y- you walk a fixed route and along that route uh it says at this point i detect um the rssi strength of
1: beacons or wi-fi or- geomagnetic, or or whatever. so it's the received signal strength uh, that's right beacons yeah um, but normally you walk around you'd be kind of recording the signal strength and presumably you'd be doing some uh indication of where you are on a given floor plan at the same time
2: that's right so you mark where you are um it ties it together with the the, the field strength around you then that gets uh, turned into essentially a fingerprint, right? You, you'd look at a floor plan and you'd see, much like on a finger, you'd see grooves and and and, and peaks where uh, the, 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 the signal strength varies. So yeah. over a short period of time, um, let's say three to six months or so, that signal strength um, doesn't vary so much. So you can upload that signal to the cloud. Uh, and then when a user wants to uh, explore the area, they download the fingerprint, uh, and then your mobile device will compare the, RS, the, the the signal strength, the field signal strength around you with that fingerprint, and then place you on top of uh, on top of that location. Um, that is uh, good. Yeah, I think that's that's what we call like an infrastructure-free deployment, which is something we don't do, um, uh-huh. uh, or one using, for example, like existing Wi-Fi. Uh, what happens is over time. As you move furniture around, or as a Wi-Fi AP breaks, or as somebody does something, that, that fingerprint changes, and it means that you need to walk around and do the fingerprint again. Um, uh-huh. So the advantage to our technology is we don't do that at all. Um, the, the beacons, which are placed either in, for example, like a Wi-Fi AP, in the lighting, or, or standalone, uh-huh. uh, they get they get uh, installed in the ceiling. We, we, we log them where they are. Um, in in in, the, in our pointer cloud, which is our backend, and then um, the mobile device will itself it will do a calculation based on when it hears those beacons, but it will also combine it with um, the, for example, like the, the 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 gyroscope or the step counter, the um, you know the inertial sensors on the device in order to to produce that blue dot. So it doesn't. So you know, one client deployment that we did in 2017, I went to go visit in. Uh, End of beginning of 2020, um, you know, we'd not been there, we'd not touched it, we'd not done anything, and the blue dot was still working exactly as it should be, you know, giving uh, high accuracy. Uh, right.
1: That's
2: that's the that's that's our main right. point.
1: Very good, and that's something that's evolved uh, presumably over time to uh, be a differentiator. Um, so. Uh, um, one of the perennial issues with location platforms is kind of the the boundaries uh you know boundary between floor one and floor two because uh sometimes signals uh tend to kind of uh, get confusing especially when you're going up staircases and and that sort of thing and you know if you're doing navigation and uh, the dots kind of moving around or in the wrong place then in key transitions from one floor to another, that can be a real problem. So, how do you approach multi floor? Is there something better about what you do versus other people do with respect so, to that?
2: Yeah, so transitions, be they up down or, um, uh, for example, uh, indoor outdoor as well, these kinds of transitions are stuff that we. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we like to think we're the best at so uh when it comes to floors again using the inertial right so actually to, to go back to your original point so with with floor level transitions especially places with mezzanines or variable height ceilings uh which there are more and more of uh in in new builds right like new builds crazy beautiful buildings with all kinds of environments that make it very difficult for uh anybody in in yeah. in, in, in the radio world right which is
1: like a shopping center which has open space where the radio waves can propagate everywhere. but you know all sorts of different heights and quirky quirkiness or or airports with solid
2: walls made entirely of 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 aluminum sheets uh you know that that sort of thing um so it makes it i think it i think it can make life difficult uh so what we have is because we use the inertial sensors um we know whether the the user has jumped or not right and and by and large they tend not to randomly jump between floors so we can use the mm-hmm. step counter on iphones for example and i think some android devices we can use the barometer to check for like pressure level changes or um, wow. it's moving up and down and it gives a really smooth and natural um, transition as you go between floors and and it's actually it's a it's a real it's a real. Many of our customers had an awful experience um, with with uh, you know in the past with with a blue dot that would jump between floors, and it's it's actually one of the main reasons that, that people will
1: eventually you know, come to us. Um... Yeah, we we were talking uh, before this about the the second surgeon phenomenon. The um you know you 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 go you have your knee done. Uh, with the doctor that's just down the road, and it, it's terrible, and you're in, you then actually do the research, and you find the people that are the real specialists, that are the best in the business. And I think you would claim to be the second surgeons of indoor positioning, uh, right? It seems like a lot of your business comes after people have had a bad bad experience with something else.
2: Yeah, the I think the probably probably the majority. Um certainly our bigger resellers you know the people who take our technology and package it into their own products and then resell it on they've i think all of them uh, had a you know a, an unsatisfactory experience with with a blue dot that jumped or wasn't consistent or wasn't accurate or wasn't easy to deploy um and and we've we've you know, re- replaced them um and yeah in a sense that's good um because you know we're we're not we're certainly not the lowest cost provider out there um but you know we we don't we don't try to be um we we want to be the 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 best uh and so we'll have a we'll participate in a a bid and then maybe 18 months later we'll then participate in the replacement bid uh it it happens
1: quite a bit so what can you say about pricing? What can you talk? Uh, how much detail can you give us about the the pricing approach? I think people who look at the industry uh, are, are interested. Presumably it's a, some kind of subscription.
2: Yeah. So for the service, we, we break it down into different products. Um, so we have our professional services and then we have our licenses and support. Um, our professional services, for example, include installation, creation of maps, um, mm-hmm. uh, some software services or customization as required. Then uh, we have our licences, which are uh, what we call blue dot on geofencing, which is purely we we give you a blue dot and we put it inside your app. So sometimes some of our customers they use it to track mobile devices, for example. They don't actually want to display. To the user where they are on there. They just want to um, get the information, then pump it up to the cloud so that they can do analytics or whatever. Then we add another layer on top, which is maps and wayfinding, which is where we take the blue dot and then we create some maps um, and we put the blue dot on top of the maps and then we enable the wayfinding. So uh, that would be, for example, you know, in shopping malls or in airports. Well, for many different yeah. places, but so far that's where we've you know we've deployed our maps and blue dot the most. Um, And then we have analytics on top of that. So understanding where people went, how they move around. And then finally, uh, asset tracking, uh, which is a different sort of thing. All of those products are um, driven by the area that we deploy. So we calculate the square footage. um, And then we have a a square foot price that we um, multiply by the unit price. And then we we have our deployment price. Um, For some clients, who have thousands of venues um, you know we, we, we wouldn't be looking at square foot pricing because it, it wouldn't make sense for them it would be uh, more like per venue pricing uh, mm-hmm. so you know we can be a bit flexible uh, but our square foot pricing is where it all starts
1: and and what about numbers of users if i had one have one user or a million users is it the same or well we don't want to penalize people for using the, the product uh yeah. if you see what i
2: mean so uh we, we want as many people to use it so so we we, we don't charge a per user fee um I, uh, the world of real estate uh, which yeah. is which is where we're seeing the majority of growth right now uh, office real estate workplace um everybody's yeah. going back to the office uh that whole world is dominated by
1: square foot pricing which is why we you know we, we fit into that category so if if i'm a uh, an airport how much does it cost to get indoor navigation? Uh, are you a big airport or a little? Um, so I, I'm a medium sized airport, you, I'm at right. uh, Portland airport, San Diego airport, something, you know, something like that. It's not Heathrow. I, Heathrow is a customer. It? What, what uh, Heathrow, is your uh,
2: customer? Um, is Gatwick? Uh, in the world of airports, um, I have to be a little careful, I think, uh, Gatwick, certainly. Um, yeah, then uh, in the U S, uh, so we're, we're in the united app uh, providing location um we do some stuff at jfk um in Dubai airport um huh? airport in doha um
1: I, I think there's 22 in total uh, or maybe 23 now um, uh, but, um but yeah i'm just sort of trying to get a rough sense of what it costs to i'm sure. thinking about the And maybe I'm just going to have a list of the shops in my airport or no, maybe I'm going to have navigation to help people find the lounges and the toilets and the shops, which can make me more money because that's how airports make money or one of the ways they make money at least big shopping malls with planes attached.
2: Well, that's, that's pretty much it. So, um, uh, so usually there is an app, as you said, which we don't develop. Um, the our customer will develop their own app, and then yeah. just put our technology into that app. Um, app production is, uh, you know, is an expensive business, uh, and it's also highly um, you know, customized, configurable. Which you know, mm-hmm. our team our team is all about hammering out this this one product at scale, right? All about indoor positioning, so it's it's not about customizing them. So I mean, an airport, depending on the infrastructure that's already in place, uh, you know, if you want, if you've got an app already, and then you want to put in positioning, it can be anywhere between uh, 50,000 to to a quarter of a million, uh, depending on depending on what you've got in there.
1: a year or?
2: Um, Yeah, that would be a year.
1: Um, and, And one of the things you talked about was depends on the infrastructure. So some airports like San Diego airport deployed a bunch of on, uh, um Qualcomm beacons, uh, gimbal beacons. Oh my goodness! I'm part of the gimbal team. <laughs> I've the name of the product. <laughs> um, so, uh, what uh, do, what beacons do you work with? Uh, um, what beacons do you work with?
2: Well, we work with any any kind of beacon. Um, we we love to work with beacons that are already in infrastructure. Um, yes, because a beacon that's in the Wi-Fi AP or in the lighting uh, is one that doesn't need a battery and 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 is already there uh, and everybody loves that. Um,
1: yeah. But what about beacons like uh, Stone Ephemeral ID or Gimbal beacons? They're constantly rotating the, the they use randomized MAC addresses and the payloads are encrypted and how do you deal with that? So... By and large, we use IB conformer um,
2: unless oh. there's a particular reason to use another format.
1: Um, okay,
2: we we can manage encryption or you know, rotating beacons as long as we also have access to that rotation.
1: The API, So if you're so you'll integrate uh, um, with the APIs of the the, the, the the people that have the encrypted beacons um, if, if need. Okay, and it's very
2: rare. That, yeah. That, that it's needed but if um if, if we have to do it then
1: then we have to do it yeah i think more encrypting on assets you know where my assets are is kind of sensitive but um um it's not really a secret that <laughs> you're in uh, san diego airport or the apple store you know the famous first mass deployment of uh, Uh, of Bluetooth speaking technology in a commercial environment was in the Apple stores all across the United States. That's something that that we did at Qualcomm. And uh, um, um, there there was debate about how confidential is it that that, uh, you're in an Apple store? It's not very confidential, really. Well,
2: yeah, so retail, workplace, um, transport, those, those are not particularly confidential. Where it does get important is in gaming uh so casinos um uh, what they call them, uh, book, book like um bookies or what's the word for yeah you know, like yeah,
1: a, if you're on a race book course book. and there's rules about whether you're allowed to bet or not, and you that's can it. bet if you're in the race course, but if you're not on the race course then uh that's not okay so so why is encryption important in that case well,
2: exactly for that reason uh there are some countries with with laws that say you are only allowed to place a bet within um a certain area so a, a physical a physical space and uh, casinos or uh, sports book companies look for ways to um, provide gaming services through their mobile app uh, yeah. of course that means that they need a way of checking that you're in that facility uh if it would be and so we would then provide beacons to say you know the blue dot only exists when you're inside this facility um you need a way to make that spoof proof uh because otherwise you know there's two things that could happen one is somebody could physically steal the beacon and take it home uh so you need a way to prevent that from happening and then the other is um that they could emulate the beacon at home so they could they could download the uid or whatever and then and then copy that and and, and then they can fake their, their way home so in those cases you need to you need to look at encrypting the beacons uh, but by and large it's not not a challenge
1: not an issue that's interesting so um, so we talked a bit about the technology let's, let's make sure that people really understand the solution so there's a blue dot location there's navigation which is about uh having an arrow and uh you know just go this way to find the where the shops are in the in the airport. So you can spend money and we can take our percentage. Um, um, And, uh, uh, and there's analytics, Um, what sort of analytics uh, are people typically looking at? Um, Analytics is very
2: sector specific. Uh, Okay, pretty interesting. So each, each sector has a very particular thing they want to do with um, location analytics Uh, to give you a couple of examples um, airports my favorite example is one of our airport clients will uh, so it's not using bluetooth it's actually using wi-fi positioning they will see uh, they will look at the gate where you board the flight they will see which devices are around that gate and then they will look through the record that we'll have collected throughout the airport to see where that device has been uh, and how long it spent at each sector of the airport. So what that means is when that person entered, did they spend um, more than 20 minutes queuing at check-in? Did they spend more than 20 minutes in the um, security? And then as a consequence, did they have no time to spend in duty-free? and so you can make a really neat ROI calculation that says if I have one extra person at checkout, oh, sorry check-in, um, I can reduce the queue by x minutes per person, which leaves x more minutes in duty-free. And then these duty-free shops they make a fortune uh, out of out of passengers going through, and, and they measure it in terms of you know this the golden hour concept. So any extra minute. Of time that you can get a passenger to spend in duty free is, you know, tangible dollars in in in, in sales. Um, so by looking at that, they can build up a profile to say, you know, this flight to Singapore versus this flight to Rio. Um, I know uh, that if I add one person extra check-in, I can I can generate twenty thousand dollars. Over the course of this month, or, or you know, two hundred forty thousand dollars over the course of the year, and it's a lot of money. When you when you work it back, it, it, it really uh, is an impressive ROI. Um, that's airports. Then in retail, um, it's about footfall. It's uh, I mean, one of my favourite examples is when it's raining. Which door do people use um, to to come into the into the into the shopping mall? do they do they come in through the main car park or do they do they come in through the the metro um, and so can I configure the where I put my advertising or my events or my seating or my yeah you know, all that stuff based around that um, and then of course if they did go to a particular area like so if I'm a more manager and I hire a band to play for an hour um, the people who came to that area of the mall, where did they go after that? Did they did they just go home, or did they go to Zara and spend uh, twenty minutes looking at
1: clothes? Um, that's ah. um, yeah, that's fascinating. But so, in, in a sense, you're competing against the camera infrastructure, are you not? In that sort of case, because I can use my camera infrastructure to look at the flow of people and make
2: also, the same information, isn't it? Camera infrastructure is uh is fantastic and if the i mean there's two things holding you back with camera infrastructure the first is cost it's it's very expensive and then the second is data privacy uh, because you can recognize a face um yeah. and so in in a lot of places you're not strictly speaking allowed to track an individual as they as they walk around uh, without their prior consent which you, you can't really get in many of these environments
1: um oh, but you can if it's an app then you can ask for their consent if it's if it's a camera then how do you do that you can't do it mm. that's it yeah um of course the camera is more accurate uh you get
2: centimeter accuracy with the camera and uh and and the coverage is, is also is going to be
1: better um, so 100%, you get every every person can be seen by the camera although maybe you don't have 100 percent coverage of everywhere in the with the camera whereas you might Arguably, I don't know. With beacons. Interesting argument, yeah. Um,
2: but again, like many of our clients deploy both, uh,
1: both solutions.
2: So airports often yeah, have, have a camera. Sorry.
1: Well, and I guess the other thing is potentially if you have an app, then you can get all sorts of demographics. You can start to learn about the customer over time and uh, how often they've come back and uh, where they went uh you know uh, their their which shops they went into over time and then how. there's all sorts of things that you can do uh if you uh, if you have it integrated into the app and that app is learning yeah. as long as they've opted in
2: absolutely um th- yes that, that's uh that's a big part of it understanding loyalty understanding of people coming back uh, and where do they spend their
1: time so what about this asset tracking thing you do that as well because that's almost a completely different use case isn't it so it is uh the flip side where you have a tag
2: which broadcasts you know a bluetooth tag which broadcasts um a signal which is then collected by uh, a gateway the gateway sends that data to a cloud crunches it and puts a position on the, on top of a uh on top of a on top of a, an admin dashboard that's the, the the main principle um it's something that we typically do as an add-on to to our core service around the, the sdk position okay. um for for example when we're working with hardware that enables you to do both so some some of the cooler later uh bits of wi-fi hardware will let you do asset tracking and and beaconing at the same time um and well what's it.
1: what are some examples of that? Um so there are
2: some lighting. Uh I think in lighted hardware we can configure it so that we can do both. Um, mm-hmm. it's possible with some some brands of Wi-Fi to configure it. Uh, uh-huh. I think it's possible with Cisco as well, but don't hold me to that. Right. Um to, to to be able to configure them separately. Um and then, of course, there are some areas where we just have two different sets of infrastructure. So
1: we've got a standalone gateway and a standalone beacon when we put that in. Uh, well, you mentioned Cisco, and we've had them on the Mr. Beacon podcast uh, actually yes. um, quite a few times. Uh, so uh, I'm just trying to think. It's, it's uh, at least three times, maybe four. Um, and so we uh, looked at DNA spaces, and I was very interested to see the you you know you and dna spaces you have a partnership cisco have been promoting uh pointer but it seems like they want to make money out of location and you want to make money out of location so i'm kind of surprised that you're cooperating rather than competing um or comp- you're, you're, yeah i'm surprised yeah right. yeah i got it the right way around i'm I surprised can, you're can, cooperating and not compete
2: I, I i could understand that um so we we really uh Enjoying the the partnership and the collaboration that we have with Cisco at the moment, it's proving super fruitful, um, and I think I think for, for, for both parties, uh, I, it it revolves around uh, let's say two of our core products. Um, the first is the Blue Dot, the SDK based Blue Dot. So uh, having a Blue Dot created with a mobile phone, which is something that um, again. It, a lot of companies have tried, but but few have managed to do reliably uh, and consistently without having a, a like a, a an internet connection all the time on the device. Um, yeah. And so, I think in the past we probably competed with Cisco on certain opportunities where they would have provided a Blue Dot. Um, uh-huh. And so, it, it's great to see that uh, over time it's still it's still the point of Blue Dot that uh, that's, that's successful in, in 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 delivering a good good uh, positioning. Um, So that's the first area, there are many clients that use DNA spaces um, that already have floor plans integrated into, um, uh, in in DNA spaces that we can then pull uh, down and turn into maps um, and and then deliver a blue dot into the the client's uh, app. Uh, So yeah, two things, the first is the blue dot, the second, which uses the beacons inside the Cisco APs and then the second is mapping and i think this is where it really gets interesting um, so we have our new uh, map scale product that we've been uh, doing lots of uh, promotion of recently that is around ai or you know i hate to use these these sort of buzzwords but like an ai based uh, mapping solution um and that's that's where it gets interesting cisco has uh, dna spaces has hundreds of millions of square feet of, uh, of of floor space covered with with aps and they have floor plans they, they know where the aps are in the building um and then they have clients who want to get more out of their uh, their offices or more out of their malls um and that requires accurate up-to-date maps that can be produced at ridiculous scale at ridiculous speeds and then have a blue dot that they can essentially just turn on uh because we we know where all the ap's are so we take the floor plans floor plans as i'm sure you've seen have loads and loads of junk all over them they've got um patching they've got text they've got all kinds of layers and stuff that that you need to get rid of and map scale will uh essentially remove all of that junk on top of the floor plan in an automated way. So we've trained it uh, based on you know thousands of, of CAD files of R and D team. You know, they've done an amazing job of training map scale to get rid of all the, the junk that you don't want and then just leave the walls. I mean walls are tricky, right? Walls on floor plans often don't actually intersect on a digital wall plan on a digital floor plan. So um, having a computer deduce that that actually these these are a wall that are connected is uh, is not a straightforward task um and then tables or pot plants um how do you distinguish that from uh from from like a big desk from a little desk stuff like that so it's all very very difficult to do um and when you're talking hundreds of millions of square feet as these guys are uh you have to you have to be very smart at it so map scale does all that sorry that I'm babbling a bit, but MapScale. Map scale. No, no, it's
1: interesting. So MapScale is your product, is it? Yeah, that's just to be clear. Yeah, that's a right. component of your product. Yeah. So it, okay. yeah, it's, it's our latest um, mapping product.
2: So it will take those floor plans for those, you know, hundred thousand venue clients that, that 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 exist out there, and um, and then produce nice, pretty three D maps based on that uh, automatically.
1: Cool. Uh, and so, why is it that Cisco DNA Spaces has these maps? If I'm sticking uh, access points up, I, I wouldn't have thought I need uh, details of where the, the, the plants and the doors are. I just kind of, uh, best, I mean, I'd need very rudimentary information.
2: Well, that's right. But um, the
1: information that comes to them
2: will be the original floor plan that's produced by the architect
1: uh and, Interesting, of course, uh, makes
2: sense. So that's what gets uploaded to. Yeah, you know, sometimes you just get PNG. You get all sorts of crazy stuff in the CAD files uh, that that you have to filter out. It's a very difficult problem. Very uh, cool. and, Yeah, very cool. I'm, I'm very proud of. Sorry.
1: Well, I, so I just uh, before we wrap up, I just want to uh, kind of pick your brains about any uh, sort of specific trends you see in verticals. Um, We've talked a bit about airports, uh, a bit about shopping malls. What about healthcare? What's happening there? Is that, uh, well, you know, what? What? First of all, what are the verticals that? Uh, what are? How, how would you? The momentum in different verticals, and specifically healthcare, which is kind of the perennial favorite of our industry. Um, where does that fit in? It.
2: So at the moment, the the the, the real driver. For indoor positioning is actually workplace. Um, is offices. It's desk booking. It's making sure that um, uh, everybody on your team can uh, see where the new meeting room is, and more importantly, that they can access it. Right. So if you're if you're booking a, a big team meeting and you have somebody, for example, in a wheelchair, you need to make sure that that person also can you know, participate. And that's getting more and more complicated
1: with with hybrid uh, workplaces. So. That's where we're seeing the, the, the big drive. Um, and so this would be like a big company that has many offices. Like we have Qualcomm here and uh, they, they name their buildings after letters of the alphabet. And uh, I, I, th- there's also a building K, which is actually Carl Strauss. So that's a bit of inside baseball. Uh, but they, they ran out of letters and so they've been to double letters. So many buildings. It would be a company like that, presumably, where you get invited to a meeting in another building you've never been to it before even though it's just two miles down the road and then uh, i mean are people is that only for companies that have their own app i don't even know whether qualcomm has its own app uh, uh, but uh...
2: so i mean it's it's a a really i mean it's something that we're asking ourselves every day is is about um who owns the app? Where where does the app belong to? Is it the company? Is it is there a third? So there are there's a, it's a it's a whole ecosystem. It's massive. Um, there are companies um, who develop their own apps, such as Microsoft uh, for for workplace. I mean, it's unsurprising. A you know, big software company they they develop their own uh, app to do that. Uh, whereas there are other companies that uh, will buy in an app from CBRE Host or Comfy by Siemens or um, iss or there's a there's a host of different workplace experience apps out there um and then they often have different tiers of service that they provide to their clients or um and location is is often one of those one of those tiers so a big client or a big campus that's where they really see value. like uh, for example um yeah the one that you mentioned qualcomm with many many different buildings yes it's not our client but um that would be a, a great example of a place where having a map being able to do indoor outdoor transition as we do across a campus or, or just indoors um all that stuff is
1: uh uh it, it re- really sort of important for them um uh, and have you been hit by in that respect have you been hit by the corona virus uh people don't need to find the meeting room because the meeting room is their bedroom
2: <laughs> so it's it's the other way around. Um, so really, the the com- these companies are uh, desperate to get people back into 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 their offices because real estate is oh. expensive, uh, and you know we were talking earlier, for example, the the the, the luxuries that that you have in order to to uh, to to keep people uh, interested.
1: Um, oh yeah, this it, was before we recorded. So just in case anyone's missed it. Williot's, San uh, Diego offices. We have amazing luxuries here. The best coffee machine. Actually, uh, uh, yeah. open. Well, we have beer. Uh, beer in the fridge. Uh, uh, the yoga studio. Anyway, I'll stop promoting us. But go to Williot's careers page, and you can see how you can get uh, free yoga classes, beer, and uh, and uh, sandwiches from the coffee shop. Anyway, back to, uh, away from that uh, commercial break for our sponsor, and back to uh, back to you. That what you just described is a real eye opener. That COVID actually is a good, is a driver for your business. That's amazing. I hadn't thought about that.
2: Uh, it, well, it's for for all sectors. I mean, airports and retail are also looking to differentiate themselves um, to, to, as people start to, to to go back into the, you know, to go back. In yeah in london yeah i go out and and it's like it's, it's back to normal again all all these places are absolutely packed and they're they're at full competition again um offices i think maybe a bit less so uh but then again it's even more important because offices are changing they they uh meeting rooms there are more meeting rooms and fewer desks now uh so people who knew where their desk used to be don't necessarily yeah. have one anymore uh they've completely changed the layout of offices to, to to match what people want, which is
1: more interactive space. Um, yeah. And maybe, and maybe desk sharing as well. People are trying to optimise, as you say, fewer, fewer desks, uh, everyone shares, therefore you need to know how can I find that desk? That's uh, that's free, I guess. I have to say we're seeing what that phenomenon that you described retailers uh, you know we all went into lockdown. We learned how to use Amazon, even our grannies and mums and dads, the people who were technophobic before and so now retailers are having to compete with uh, uh, with the online experience and so they 're they're, they're going to iot technologies to uh, uh, to do that
2: i mean i 'll give you just quickly one one amazing example uh, from a a, a, a new client i'm not sure if i'm allowed to name it or not yeah uh, in 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 the, the uae which is developing um a smart parking system that will analyze where you've been in the shopping mall uh it will see which you know using our technology it will see which stores you've been to where you went um to deduce your preferences uh and then and then when you turn up at the uh, the, the, the shopping mall in your car the led display will say go to floor three section a park in b22 and so that when you get out of your car you'll be next to the shops that you want to go to um which i think is awesome it's such a that, that's a real kind of future of retail uh, application
1: that's very good so we talked about verticals i asked you about healthcare we ended up yeah. talking about retail which is uh is I, fascinating to me so i don't regret that but uh do you sure. see business in healthcare or or, or is that not uh, no you know, health is
2: healthcare is big um so we have one fantastic client in colorado uc health um that uh is a large hospital campus where we're deployed in um in their mobile app uh, to provide positioning uh and i think maps but maybe not I'm sure yet um so we will so, in there, uh, their users will navigate. Uh, f- for example, I have an appointment today. So, uh, I get a notification through my UC Health app telling me that I need to go to this building at this time. So, firstly, it will tell me which car park to go to in order so that you're closest to your building. Then from the car park, we'll do the GPS-based navigation to the front door. At the front door, we'll have, a you know, from the user's point of view, a seamless transition to Bluetooth beacons. Uh, there'll be a notification as you you turn up, saying you know, "Welcome to the hospital." Um, your uh, your doctor is on floor three in room six hundred two. Uh, click here uh, to to navigate. So it will take them to the elevator, go up the elevator, get out the elevator, and then you know, walk to the the doctor's office. Um, so that for I think a lot of patients is um, a pretty important. It's kind of innovation or, 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 or a useful innovation for them. Um, healthcare is growing right now, especially in the US where healthcare is, it's not like in the UK where in the UK you kind of go to the doctor that you have to go to. Right? You don't choose your doctor, you don't choose your hospital, you don't choose your surgeon um whereas in the u.s these hospitals they compete or the healthcare centers healthcare systems they compete with one another in order to 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 get your business and a quality app that will allow you to schedule your your appointments to learn about your doctor to learn about your treatment and then help you on that journey is um uh, is a real winner for patients uh, and a real winner
1: yeah and I, i just getting people in and out and making sure they turn up on time and uh that sort of thing's got to have uh, an roi as well so I, I i hope that this improves just as a consumer of those services that uh, badly need improvement last topic um uh, competition um uh, of, of course uh, apple maps google maps do have an indoor offering how do mm-hmm. you compete with that
2: this is a there's one of our interview questions when we're interviewing people is uh... Uh, yeah. is is, uh, is how do we how do we compete against um google offering AR uh so Google won't give you user data uh they they, they keep it for themselves if you are um, a retailer that's what you're interested in you're interested in keeping your your user data in the app if you are a hospital you can't share your patient's location data uh, with a third party it has to be owned and if you're a workplace you, you if you're um, you know, if you're a big bank, you can't have a large tech company knowing uh, where you are in that building, so where your people are, how long they spend, who's with each other, how, what are they doing in the meeting rooms, that sort of thing. It's um, it's far too invasive. Uh, so the data, it's, it's really about data ownership. Who owns the data? Um, there's also a product aspect to it that uh, the so. Uh, The the Apple location is based on is essentially a fingerprinting solution, which uh, will degrade over time and The the Google solution, I believe is also is I think it's image based um, Which is okay, uh, but then you've got your camera on all the time, uh, which again is is a bit of a a, a, Can can be considered by some as an invasion of uh, privacy potentially Um, Yeah,
1: so that makes sense in terms of why, uh, as a shopping mall, I want the data. So, uh, uh, And uh, there's all sorts of integrations that I want to control. uh, So that makes sense. Um, uh, But what about uh, you're also competing for the consumer, the end user, right? Why would the end user bother to go to uh, the shopping mall to do the navigation versus just use the, the app that they use to get to the mall in the first place well so those shopping mall apps
2: or airport apps will often have lots of other um, benefits or features or loyalty or um, you know for example we were talking earlier about uh, getting you to the right car park in if you go to the UAE or even in the US these car parks are enormous Um, getting you to the one that then helps you have the best experience uh, that's uh, that's that's really important to a lot of end users, um, and it would be the same in uh, it would be the same in like an aviation story uh, as well as a, as a workplace story. Helping you essentially helping the user save time and and giving them plenty of benefits while they're at it.
1: Very good. So, Paul, I was looking at your LinkedIn resume, as is my want uh, before these things, and you've got an interesting. Uh, uh, you've had an interesting path up until uh, working at uh, Pointer, and you, you've actually been involved in making movies and working in China. And how how did you end up getting this job? What's what was your path? Uh, you know, what did you study at college, and how did you get to Pointer?
2: Um, yeah, it's been fun. Uh, so, I did physics uh, up in St. Andrews and physics is a great subject because it. Opens... That's Scotland, right? For people yeah. that don't know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Up in the north. Um, uh, and it's a great subject because it opens loads of different doors, uh, into all sorts of different places. And then, um, I went off to do optics in France, um, at another university to do a masters. And then, uh, around that time I discovered, I, I also really loved learning Chinese.
1: And so, um, how said, do you just happen to discover that you like learning Chinese? I don't know. You, you just, uh, when you're in France.
2: Uh, well, I, I suppose it was when I was in Scotland. But um, oh, okay. uh I, I I I had a bit of time and I saw there was a class uh, and so I um, I just took it up. I, I enjoyed languages anyway, and 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 I, I took up that and I just, I I really enjoyed. Uh, the, the cultural aspect of it and the, 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 language aspect of it. Um, yeah, following that, uh, I, I actually found Chinese, probably more interesting than physics. Um, and so ended up moving to, uh, Taiwan firstly, and started studying Chinese, which is great, um, at the NTU. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found a fantastic job selling lasers, buying them in China and then selling them in the West. Uh, and so that's how I got into sales and then. Then I expanded, I went to uh, to China, to Shanghai, where um, I, I did loads of technical sales for, uh, essentially it was a consultancy that does your biz dev in uh, in Asia. And so I mm-hmm. took on loads of good projects. One of those was actually working for the SIG, for BT SIG, uh, where we were representing oh, really? them uh, and, and helping them find opportunities in, in China. And so I, I actually worked quite closely with uh, Chuck Saban
1: during that time um so what sort of opportunities is the bluetooth SIG looking for in china so uh
2: understanding what the future of bluetooth looks like all the devices making bluetooth or a good majority of them are manufactured in china um mm-hmm. and so of course the the sig takes a, uh it has it has its revenue based on, on 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 devices being manufactured and making sure that they understand what what the future is what factories are producing um what the big companies are producing uh so yeah it, w- it was really interesting uh we got to go to loads of large corporates as well as smaller companies to to see what they're doing with bluetooth um, so a great introduction to the technology uh amazing uh, yeah it was great and then um, then after that yeah i mean it's 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 not so relevant to, to point it but uh at the same time we our friend and i started the company doing vr film production um yeah which was great fun around china we we took drones and strapped vr cameras to them and flew them around uh, yeah uh, and uh, we, we we got a film put into uh, the french company hired us and, and we got a film put at can um, which is awesome uh yeah and uh and then I, I i via new zealand came back to the uk um and was looking for a technical sales role um, in ideally in IOT, cause I, I, I really enjoy, uh, IoT. I, think it's, uh, I mean, it's an emerging, I don't know if it's emerging anymore, but it's, um, uh, a really interesting, it's aspect. growing,
1: it's certainly influential, it's impactful, changing our lives.
2: Yeah. I, I suppose it's sort of that, that point between emerging and everywhere where it is. Yeah. It's, it's growing it's scaling. Um, and, uh, yeah. And in that, um, I got introduced to to egg at pointer and uh and then then it went from there so i've been um uh, sort of leading technical sales or, or or a lot of the sales particularly outside the u s but also
1: some in the u s uh, for pointer since uh-huh. then. Uh, and it's been it's been a fun and and what about this movie that you made that went to can you were the producer or well yeah, so yeah. we we shot um
2: so, the film was two French directors uh, who were hired by, do you know After, the TV channel? Um, so they were hired by Afte to, um, to, 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 to film, they call it fake cities, or what do they, call, they called it the real thing the film. Um, it was about fake uh, copies of uh, European cities in China. So we took shots of a fake Paris with a fake Eiffel Tower, uh, a fake London with a fake Big Ben and and Tower and Tower Bridge, um, and then a fake Vienna with gondolas. Uh, oh, sorry, a uh, Venice with gondolas. Venice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and and I and mean, that's amazing.
1: Most people have no idea that <laughs> talk about. Copying and plagiarism, intellectual property theft, they're stealing whole cities now. Well, it's amazing. Uh,
2: I, but so I, the, the focus of the film was on um, the people who lived in these cities. So if you go yeah. to the fake Paris, you've got you've got a fake Champs Elysees with um, these these enormous buildings. There's, there's a there's a famous vi- um, music video. There's a um, a DJ called Jamie XX who did a, a um, a uh, a song called Gosh and if you look at the video on YouTube, you will see that city. It's incredible. Um and so uh yeah they've got they've got the fake Eiffel Tower which is a third the height and they've got all these people who are living there and they they interview them asking them about um uh you know what what's it like? Do, does does living on the Chandly impact your the way of life? You know, it, there's these these ladies sort of hanging their their underpants outside the uh you know the balcony <laughs> facing the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting and so we we um we had some drones uh some big drones and we put a you know beast sort of six gopro unit on the bottom suspended from a, uh-huh. a meter high uh rod and then took some really nice shots going through there um which which we used in the film so amazing I,
1: and and it's you know and it's also it's in virtual reality and, uh, and, and regular
2: yeah, it, it was, I mean, in in the VR world, the, I think the film was quite a big hit. Um, it won a couple of awards. I, uh, you know, we we only did some shots for it, but it was great fun. Amazing,
1: very good. And so, um, uh, does music kind of uh, intertwine into this interesting life that you've had in in a meaningful way? Is it is it important to you or not?
2: I, I mean, I enjoy music, um, and uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, I've not played uh, much music since I was a
1: kid really but uh um yeah I've always enjoyed it going to gigs and things and so what uh, what are your three favorite songs then and why well so
2: uh, yeah i thought I thought long and hard about it i don't know if i have three favorite but i thought of three happy songs um okay that that uh you know, i i think whenever I listen to uh you know cheer me up um and I guess the first is uh uh, Piano Man by Billy Joel. Uh, I think it's just a uh-huh. memory of uh, uh, being in the US with my brother, you know, on a road trip. Um, oh, really? But well, where'd you go? Uh all around California, and you know, the classic uh, Southwest road trip. Um, we went to Burning Man and a few other places. As, uh, uh-huh. Maybe I shouldn't we should mention. Make
1: that. it down to San Diego, where where I
2: am. Uh, no, we didn't make it to San Diego. We to... Uh, yeah. Death Valley, and then north
1: up to uh nevada and um all right very yeah, good uh so that's piano man is number yeah. one a uh, great story behind it what's number two uh
2: number two i suppose I, I was thinking i mean so i have a one-year-old uh and and we discovered that she loves it when we sing gangnam style to her um, so <laughs> every time every time we sing uh, Gangnam Style, it's, uh, it's always a happy, uh, you know, a happy moment. Um, so I'd say that's, that's definitely out there.
1: Yeah, that's a great choice. <laughs>
2: uh, and I suppose, lastly, uh, is, is another happy memory in, in Shanghai. Uh, when I was, I was first starting and I was, I was living with, um, I somehow wound up in a flat full of 14 English teachers. Uh, in in downtown Shanghai, just rowdy American English teachers, uh, and and every evening they had a tradition of singing um, "Wagon Wheel" by Darius Rucker, uh, <laughs> and 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 so I think you know when you get into the spirit of that, that, that would be the third sort of happy memory I, I have, and the third song that uh, came to me when I was thinking about.
1: Yeah, very cool. Thanks so much for that. That's wonderful. I have one unusual request for you. Never asked a guest to do this before. (laughs) Dramatic effect. Um, Could you say uh, something along the lines of to all our Chinese viewers and listeners, thanks very much for uh, um, for uh, following Mr. Beacon, Uh, please tell your friends and subscribe. Uh say that in Chinese.
2: Uh, sure. Uh Ganxi Woman, Chungwoda uh Fensu. It might take me a couple of goes to get this. Uh uh Ganxi Woman uh, Mr. Beacon uh, no hang on. Ganseo woman da jong or Mr. Beacon the Fensu uh Chingta dianga jang
1: Thank you so much. No problem. That's great. What a great way to end the interview. <laughs> I want to thank Aaron Hammond for his work on uh, production, Uh, Jesse Hazelrig, our uh, producer. I want to thank you for for listening. Please do like us, tell your friends about us, and please join us for the next time we meet up.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.